Let's open the Scriptures this morning to the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, in the first place, 2 Samuel 8, and then we'll turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're taking note here of how the Lord was with David in the early part of His reign to subdue various enemies, and we'll see some of that come back in our text in 2 Chronicles 25. So 2 Samuel 8, after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Amah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Bitah and from Barothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. We turn now to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. And some of the wisdom that the Lord teaches here is reflected in our passage in Second Chronicles 25. We'll read the first 12 verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles 25, continuing our series of sermons in this book and on these various kings and what God is doing in and through them. We come to King Amaziah. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put their children to death, according to what is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, Fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those twenty years old and upward and found that they were three hundred thousand choice men fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle, why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock, and they were all dashed to pieces." But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop! Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped. But he said, 
I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took counsel and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. And Joash, the king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle in Lebanon, or on Lebanon, sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You say, See, I have struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness, but now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God in the care of Obed-Edom. He seized also the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived fifteen years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah, from first to last, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time when he turned away from the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him upon horses, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. That's as far as our text will go. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Maybe you recognize that. That's one of the Proverbs that God gives us in the book of Proverbs. And it's speaking about choices. Everyone has choices to make at a certain time. Several times in our lives we'll have serious choices to make, life-changing choices with consequences. And the Spirit of Christ in that proverb is saying to us, you might consider a certain choice and everything about that choice seems right in your eyes. But in the end, it turns out for destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's, way, it's the way of death. You think it will bring success, but you find it only brings ruin. Well, that proverb is playing out in our text in the kingship of Amaziah. At certain moments in his reign, he too faced choices. In each case, he had to consider the consequences and which way he would go. 
and he picked and he considered what was the best option that would bring the best outcome. But what Amaziah neglected to do was to stop and think long and hard about what the Lord wanted from him. He forgot to ask the all-important question, what choice in this circumstance, what choice would please my God the most? And so we're going to take a closer look at his choices as I bring you this word of the Lord under this theme. God alone has power to help or to cast down. That's a quote from chapter 28 where the prophet says that God alone has the power to help or cast down. We'll see two things. We are to trust Him with all our heart, and we are not to be wise in our own eyes. The inspired chronicler introduces Amaziah in the usual way in the beginning of the chapter, but in verse 2, he qualifies his kingship with a kind of a unique description. He says, verse 2, that Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. What do you think of a description like that? Is that meant as a favorable description? Would you like to be described that way, someone who does what is right but not with a whole heart? The first part sounds good. He did what was right in the eyes of God, but the second part sounds off, yet not with a whole heart. Even it sounds a bit ominous. What does this mean, not with a whole heart? Well, a whole heart is a heart that is not divided in its service, in its love. A heart, it's, it's a heart that is exclusively devoted to the Lord, to, to loving Him and serving Him. This is what God requires of all His people, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We heard it from Deuteronomy this morning. With all your soul, with all your might, with all your mind. The Lord repeats this over and again uh, through Scripture. And now the king, as leader of the shepherd and shepherd of God's flock, the king had to be the leading example of wholehearted devotion, wholehearted love for God. Only a few chapters earlier, the chronicler had described King Jehoshaphat as a king who, despite his failings, and we, we, we saw his failings earlier, he nevertheless was a king who sought the Lord with all of his heart. But here we have great-grandson Amaziah about whom something quite different is said. His service was not with a whole heart. So this is not a compliment. This is not a commendation. It's meant to alarm us. Because if we only serve God with half a heart, what's the other half serving? And where will it lead in the end that that other half is serving something else? So the chronicler goes on with his story. First thing he tells us about Amaziah that is that he starts out on the right foot. As king, it was his job to administer justice in the kingdom, 
And so it was his duty to punish the men who had murdered his father, Joash. What they had done was evil. So Amaziah, when he's strong enough, he has them arrested and put to death. He does this very carefully, says the chronicler. He recalls what God had said through Moses that the sons were not to be put to death for the fathers nor uh, put to death for the crimes of their fathers and vice versa. You know, that's, that's a marked departure from what uh, the generations above him had done. You remember how Athaliah had killed the, the grandsons and Ahaziah had killed his brothers. So Amaziah acts with restraint. He just kills the murderers. He doesn't put their sons to death. That's a good thing. So up to the end of verse 4, Amaziah is doing well. But then we notice there's a turn in verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, we see Amaziah mustering an army together with the intention to fight the Edomites. Now, in itself, this was a righteous desire. For the Edomites had long been enemies of Judah. As we read from 2 Samuel 8, the Lord earlier had blessed David in conquering all the neighboring enemies. And you have to remember that those enemies, they hated Israel. They wanted to destroy Israel. They always were doing their best to, to beat Israel. But when David was made strong by the Lord, he subdued them all, Edom, Moab, Philistia, Ammon, Syria, and a few others. So Edom is a longtime enemy of Israel. The last we heard about Edom in Chronicles is that in the time of King Jehoram, Edom had revolted from the rule of Judah. It's even possible that Judah or that Edom is, is itself getting ready to attack Israel, and, and Amaziah could be preparing a defense. We're not sure exactly what the trigger was for this particular battle, but whatever the case, we need to understand that in the Lord's eyes, a fight against Edom was a righteous thing. And so Amaziah is gathering the troops. That's a prudent thing. So far, no problem in the Lord's eyes. But now look at verse 6. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. That's a problem. That's the moment where you say, uh-oh, what's going on here? Maybe you remember the last time that Judah and Israel joined forces to go to war. That it was in King Jehoshaphat's time that this began. He was the one who cooperated with the northern tribes of Israel when he joined King Ahab in battle. But you recall what happened. That ended in a total disaster, defeat. Each king had to run away, and Ahab was killed, and Jehoshaphat ran with his tail between his legs back home to Jerusalem. And then Jehoshaphat's son Ahaziah repeated the same mistake by joining forces with Ahab's son Jehoram against Syria. But once again, the battle was lost. And in, both, in fact, both kings were killed by Jehu, who had been sent to do so on God's orders. So we're starting to see a blind spot in King Amaziah. On the one hand, he knew the book of Deuteronomy, which is where that quote comes from, from the law of Moses. And 
He knew the finer points of God's law, that's to his credit, but on the other hand, he was totally ignorant, it seems, or he chose to ignore the recent past of his own family, his own grandfathers. And how could this Amaziah forget the unholy marriage alliance between the house of David and the house of Ahab of Israel and how it had nearly wiped out David's royal line? How could Amaziah forget that his own dad, Joash, had been saved from the sword of Athaliah by the Lord's doing, basically by the skin of his teeth? And yet here we are in, in Amaziah's time, barely a generation later, Amaziah cozying up to Israel in the north, seeking security in the strength of their army. It's as if he's learned none of the lessons of the previous three or four generations. Now, why, why would Amaziah do this? Why even consider joining forces with Israel? Well, it's because he was not trusting the Lord with all of his heart. He was looking at the army that he was gathering, and his own soldiers, he counted them, 300,000 men. He was thinking that's not enough to defeat Edom. His grandfathers had had much larger armies, so this is Amaziah feeling insecure. I've got an army, but it's not quite enough. How can I beat the Edomites with only this many men? Then he thought to himself, I know our brothers to the north have ample men. I will hire them to fight for us. I'll be able to pay their hire out of the spoils of war. Adding 100,000 soldiers should do the trick. He's thinking to himself, King Amaziah, you know, the numbers work. Now I'll have 400,000 soldiers. The finances work. The prospect of success is high. Let's go. It's a good plan. Why not go forward, he thinks. Very, very impressive plan on paper. And you know, it's easy for us to get into the same mindset. Different areas of life, maybe in business, to grow my business to a certain point. I need to do this much. I need to take these particular steps, hire these staff, develop this strategy, and that should work out. Or maybe in terms of our families, to raise my family successfully, I will put my kids through this education. I will have them take part in these activities. I'll spend certain time with them, give them certain opportunities, and then they should be successful adults. Or maybe as a young person, you, we might think, I'll I'll finish high school, I'll take a gap year, work, get a degree, get a job, settle down into married life, have a family, it'll be good. We can plan. We can make very good plans, very finely tuned plans, smart plans, strategic plans, likely to work out plans. Only have we asked the Lord's opinion about these plans? And have we ever asked the Lord to bless these plans? 
See, that's what Amaziah wasn't doing. It's very clear that he never thought to ask God about any of this. Otherwise, the prophet would not have had to have been sent from God. And notice how merciful the Lord is in sending the prophet. Just as we saw last time with Joash, so here too with Amaziah, the Lord is very patient with His people. I mean, here, here's Amaziah making the same mistake as grandfather and great-grandfather. But the Lord is slow to anger. He's not eager to punish. He's eager to be compassionate. The man of God says to Amaziah, verse 7, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. Ephraimites, just another name for the Israelites of the north. Amaziah should have known this from the recent history, but the Lord takes time to spell it out. I do not support the armies of Israel because Israel bows the knee to the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. I am not with Israel because they are not with me. They have broken covenant with me, Amaziah. Send them home. Don't let them go with you. And then the Lord adds a statement that exposes the underlying trust issue for King Amaziah. End of verse 8. For God has power to help or to cast down. God has that power to help or to cast down. Your covenant God, Amaziah, has that power. Not the 100,000 troops in front of you. Not your 300,000 hand-picked soldiers either. Nor the armies of Edom, for that matter. But I, and I alone, am your helper. And I'm also the one who destroys if you reject me. I am God Almighty who grants success or who produces failure according to my wisdom and according to my covenant. I'm the one who raises up and I'm the one who casts down. Amaziah, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me, Amaziah, or are you going to trust your gut instinct? What's it going to be? Brothers and sisters, who are you going to trust? Who do you, who do I look to for success in our endeavors? Do we look to our own smarts, our own strategies, our own hard work, our own finances, or do we have our eyes clearly on the Lord our God who alone has the power to bless or to cast down to ruin, are we convinced, do we really believe that you and I cannot so much as move a muscle without the will of God, let alone lead a happy and productive and prosperous life unless God grants that to us? That does not mean we should not make plans, but it does mean that we don't put our trust in the plan. 
We put our trust in God. We ask God for wisdom to make a plan. Then we make a plan. Then we say, Lord, here's the plan that we've made best we can. We put it into your hands, Father. Bless this plan. And if we have to tweak the plan, help us along the way to make the tweaks. We trust the Lord to bring the plan to pass. We don't trust the plan. Our calling, beloved, is as we read from Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Sometimes following God's instructions, God's commands laid out in Scripture, sometimes that looks like the wrong move. Sometimes it looks like failure. That's what Amaziah was facing. He hears what the man of God is saying, send the 100,000 soldiers away. But he asks, well, what shall we do about the 100 talents of silver that I've paid them? That's a lot of cash. This king didn't have a lot of cash. Couldn't afford to throw that money away. So it was starting to look in his eyes like a foolish thing to do. Send away 100,000 soldiers. Give away 100 talents of silver. Amaziah has these thoughts or could have these thoughts in his mind. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have hired these soldiers in the first place. Maybe that was wrong of me. But now that they're here and I've paid for them, shouldn't I just use them? Wouldn't it be crazy just to throw the money away? You see, that's, that's the natural way we reason. This is what Proverbs says is leaning on our own understanding. But when God says to do the opposite, this is where the art and the, the gift of trust comes in. When God says to do the opposite, we have to trust God with all of our heart despite how crazy it may look, despite how it might feel to us. This feels like the wrong thing to do, but God says to do it, I'm going to do it. And we should, we should just face the facts. This is not easy. It's hard in the moment. Like Amaziah had a really hard choice here. We have hard choices I might have a job offer in front of me, a good-paying job offer, but it involves regular Sunday work. And I might think to myself, it's foolish to turn down this job offer because I'm not likely to get a job offer like that anytime soon with that kind of paycheck. It's a good job. It fits my skill set. See, that's, that's our own understanding. But we know from Scripture that God commands, do no regular work on my holy day, on the Sunday, as we say today, the Lord's day. So I've got a choice in that moment. Will I follow the Lord with all of my heart and not take the job and trust that He'll provide some other way? I might feel like maybe I could serve God better in some other church a church down the road somewhere, a church that's more my vibe, a church that I can get more out of it. 
That's my own understanding. But the Lord says in Scripture, if this, if this church is true to my word, then you be a living member of the church. Then you and me too pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. Pray for the ministry of the gospel and work within the church to maintain and to build up the congregation. Will I then in that moment trust God with all of my heart that He knows what He's doing? Will I trust that God will bless my obedience? Isn't this exactly the same kind of thing that our Lord Jesus Christ committed Himself to in His earthly ministry? Time and again He said, I have come to do not my will but my Father's will. And that led him through a life of all kinds of trouble, right? Opposition from Pharisees and other people. Enmity from the whole people at the end, all the way to the tree of pain on Golgotha. That's where following the will of God led Jesus. Did that not look to mere human understanding as a foolish way, the wrong way? You remember the disciples sure thought so. Lord, you're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. You're the Messiah. Yet the Lord Jesus set His face toward Jerusalem, trusting His Father, and he walked on with the cross on his shoulder, lets you and me do the same. He calls us to it, deny ourselves, pick up your cross and follow me. Not our will, his will. And then remember, brothers and sisters, it is the Lord. It is the Lord alone who has the power to, to help or to cast down, to bless or to curse the man of God reminds Amaziah, the Lord is able to give you much more than that. You think you're going to lose 100 talents of silver? Don't worry about the 100 talents. Don't you know how great your God is? Don't you know that the Lord is the Lord of all the earth? Don't you know what He can do? Just think of your own history. Amaziah, didn't our God tell Gideon, who was facing this horde of Midianites, that he had too many men with him. He had to whittle down the, the, the army to 300. And didn't the Lord give to Gideon and his 300 men total victory over the innumerable Midianites? Didn't God help David defeat Goliath in the face of incredible odds? Didn't the Lord help King Asa just a few generations earlier fight off a million Ethiopians with only half the size of an army? And we can think, too, of how the Lord God, the Spirit of God, helped Jesus to defeat Satan while Jesus was being tortured on the cross. And the Spirit helped him endure that, and the Spirit brought him back to life on the third day. What looks at the moment as uh, the path of uninvitingness, the last direction you want to go, maybe a crazy way to go in the eyes of men, what looks impossible to bring about a happy ending, according to our way of thinking, when the Lord directs our steps there, when we read that in Scripture, then that way is the good way.
the blessed way, the only way for us to go, trusting Him with all our hearts and refusing to be wise in our own eyes. To Amaziah's credit, he listens to the prophet. He dismisses the 100,000 Israelite troops, proceeds onward to battle against the Edomites, and he becomes victorious. But then two things happen in the wake of that victory that bring out the true conviction of Amaziah's heart. The first is that the Israelite soldiers raid a bunch of Judah's cities in revenge for being let go from Amaziah's army. Their, their pride was hurt, but they also recognized they would lose spoil had they been part of that battle against the Edomites. And so they decide to take spoil from Judah. They take out their anger on Judah, killing even 3,000 people. That upsets King Amaziah, naturally. Now he's looking for payback. That's what sets up the next part of the chapter. Now that's one thing that happens. But the next thing makes matters so much worse. Verse 14, after Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir. Seir is the headquarters of Edom. And he set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Doesn't that just make your heart sink to read that? Amaziah earlier had started off his kingship with obeying the Torah, fully aware, <coughs> aware of the finer points of the law of Moses. But only a short time later, <clears throat> he disregards the first and most important command of them all, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Do you see, brothers and sisters, where half-hearted devotion leads a person? Unless there is repentance, it leads to greater devotion to that other God. It leads away from the one true God. You cannot have a divided heart. A divided heart is already moving itself away from the one true God. Amaziah, coming back from Edom, crossed the line. And it, he never came back. Amaziah was now hardening himself in rebellion against God. To quote Proverbs 3 again, Amaziah had become wise in his own eyes. Nobody could tell him what to do anymore. He thought he knew better than God. When the Lord sent him another prophet to confront him, Amaziah stops the prophet. Think about that. Halfway through his talk, he stops him short. He says, whoa, have we made you a royal advisor? Stop talking. Why should you be struck down? He threatens to murder him. Do you hear the arrogance in the reply of Amaziah? Amaziah was in the process of rejecting the counsel of God. He was determined to follow his own counsel. 
counsel that was affirmed in the echo chamber of his own hand-picked advisors. And he proceeds down this path of rebellion full tilt, for even when King Joash of Israel warns him not to mount an attack against Israel, lest he and all Judah be destroyed. That's what that little parable about the thistle and the cedar is all about. He's, he's mocking Amaziah, but he's saying, look, you'll never, you'll never be successful against me, so just stay put and save yourself. But verse 20 says, Amaziah simply would not listen. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to listen? Will you, will I humble ourselves before God and follow His Word, follow His counsel, and not our own thinking? There's a very fearful warning here for us. If we spurn God's Word, if we reject what He tells us in Scripture, we can only expect God to reject us. The prophet tells Amaziah that very plainly in verse 16, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that by turning away from the Word of God, because you think you know better, when you do that, you make God your enemy. You make God your enemy. That's the serious thing here. God has given us His Word in Scripture to guide us. God has done more. God sends to us elders who come to us visiting in our homes. They bring the Bible in their hand. They open the Bible with us to encourage, to instruct, to guide. What are we doing when we reject their guidance? What are we doing when we look down on their efforts and say, elders. God also sees to it that His Word is preached from week to week to us all. How will the Lord respond to us if we dismiss the preaching or treat it with contempt? If we become wise in our own eyes, have we not set our feet down the path of destruction? That's where Amaziah is headed. His downfall is swift and it's complete. Notice how part of God's punishment is to further harden his heart. Verse 20, Amaziah would not listen, that's to Joash, for it was of God in order that he might give him into the hand of their enemies because they had sought the gods of Edom. How terrible it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Amaziah had spurned the counsel of God when the prophet came, and now God is hardening him in that. Sound advice is rejected. It, it looked like foolishness to Amaziah. 
Have you ever seen that in, in someone who's turned their back on the Lord? Everything that they think is right in their own eyes, they become stubborn, and their stubbornness doesn't let up. They become deaf to true wisdom, deaf to wise counsel, and in their arrogance, they just go their own way according to their heart. Brothers and sisters, please, all of us, me too, let us humble ourselves, lest we become like this Amaziah and so many other arrogant people mentioned in Scripture, and we've seen them in our lives. Let us instead humble ourselves and submit to the Word of God, submit to the elders' teaching, submit to the preaching. Let's follow God, remembering that it's God alone who has the power to help and the power to cast down. Amaziah not only loses the battle against Joash or the king of the north, but he is taken prisoner. That's the first time one of Judah's king is taken prisoner. And Jerusalem is sacked. A good chunk of its wall is broken down for the first time since David and Solomon had built up that wall. The temple is robbed of its silver and gold and of its vessels. The palace is stripped of its wealth. Hostages are dragged off to Samaria, king included, apparently. The kingdom of Judah had never been in such a low state. It's a foreshadowing of the great exile that was coming upon Judah for its mounting rebellion. Amaziah is, is one link in that chain of mounting rebellion. And Amaziah himself, some years later we read, is assassinated by conspirators, same as what happened to his ungodly father, Joash. How the mighty have fallen. There's nothing left of Amaziah. He has to be brought back on horses from Lachish to be buried. Brothers and sisters, we can avoid such a humiliating end by doing this, bowing the knee to God and be, being not wise in our own eyes. And isn't humility, isn't submission the, the way of Christ? Doesn't the Lord Jesus say to us, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. I'm not proud. Jesus was not arrogant. Jesus was not wise in His own eyes. Even as the Son of God, He constantly deferred and sought out his Father's pleasure, His Father's will, His Father's kingdom. Let's you and me do the same, knowing that Christ was given His Father's kingdom in order to turn around and give it to us. If only we repent, if only we believe, if only we deny ourselves and follow after Christ, the kingdom is ours. We get the kingdom in humble faith not being wise in our own eyes. In the Christian heart, there is room 
There is no room, rather, for serving yourself, for Jesus never served himself. So if we follow Jesus, we cannot serve ourselves. One heart, that is to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. There's only room in the Christian heart to serve the Father by the power of the Spirit to the glory of the Son. Let that be your one heart's aim. Amen.